matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Don't make a bit of sense to me. If that's what being crazy is, then I'm senseless, out of it, gone down the road, wacko. But no more, no less. Welcome to Unhinged. This is episode number nine, recorded May 15th, 2016. On today's show, we'll be talking all about music and the brain and how it can help those that suffer from depression. As we've mentioned before, music was how Doug and I met in college. Uh, We played in a band, wrote songs, and just jammed whenever we could. Music really shaped us in a profound way, which obviously led even more to our close friendship. Uh, We'll talk about how it started and Playing together, which was very special to us, uh, all we had to do was find a room with great acoustics, whether it be a bathroom, mm-hmm. uh, laundry rooms, the blue room. <laughs> yeah, we, we want to let you know what the blue room is all about. In our previous intros for uh, other podcasts, we, we mentioned we are from the blue room, and I've gotten some questions on what that really means. You might as well clarify at this point. So the blue room is what we called the basement of our uh, original dorm room uh, in college, in Syracuse University. Uh, Downstairs, there was uh, a laundry room, and the entire area was painted blue. The acoustics were great. There was nice natural reverb, so we would go down there after a few, and uh, and (laughs) we would like to sing uh, because it sounded great. And uh, one night in particular, we had a little too much to drink. And uh, let's say the blue room was left a little messy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. And we'll leave it at that because uh, this is a family show. But I, I, I do remember that that's, that's where the, the uh, musical bond started. We were... Kind of like Crosby, Stills, and Nash in Two People. And we just sounded great together, uh, whether we were slightly inebriated or not. Well, given that, let's talk about guitar. Um, you know, I have a lot of questions for you, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, why guitar for you? What, what specifically is it about guitar that just drew you in and, and has kept you hooked over the years? Well, that that's easy. I mean, the... The reason I got into guitar was because the people that I admired uh, musically when I was first getting into music as a teenager were guitarists. Uh, Pete Townsend, in particular, uh, I was—I'm I'm a huge Who fan. Uh, He's—he was pretty much my idol at the time, and uh, I, I figured, well, I have to play what he plays, and he played guitar. And another one, of course, was Jimmy Page. Huge Led Zeppelin fan, uh, always loved Led Zeppelin, and uh, Jimmy Page to me was another one who just amazed me what he could do, and I loved the sound he was getting and and all that. So I just kind of wanted to emulate my my idols at the time. Did you have any idols that you felt the same way or that struck the same quote unquote nerves or? neurotransmitters as we'll get into uh <laughs> by a drummer or a keyboard player or is it was it something about the there, guitar there was that- something about guitar there was something about that sound uh there was something intriguing about 
being able to stand up on stage holding your instrument and walking around. You know, the drummer and the keyboardist can't do that. Um, well, male strippers do the same thing, but it's just a different <laughs> instrument. Yes, very true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is a phallically shaped instrument. So it has nothing to do with that. We can rule that out. We can rule that out, yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. It, it's, you know what, it's, uh, I guess you could break it down to, to, to uh, a crunchy distortion and just strumming the A chord, just like at the beginning of CSI Miami. Yeah. And that is the who, of course. Of course. So, yeah, I, I uh, that, for me, it was, it was that. It was Santana and David Gilmour. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if I could put into words what it was, but the guitar was just something uh, innate and, and just it triggered all my senses. Well, here's a clip of David Gilmour explaining why he got into guitar. David, why, why guitar of all the instruments in the world? Um, it's, uh, it's easier than piano keyboards and to me piano and guitar are the two main instruments where you can be everything you can be you can be a rhythm instrument a bass instrument a rhythmic instrument or a rhythm instrument a backing rhythm instrument and a lead instrument all at once and um, everything else seems to be a part of something it seems to be not enough on its own that's actually uh you know, makes me think about, you know, let's say jazz guitar where they have a, you know, the, uh, they didn't generally use a pick a lot of the time, used their finger picking and uh, kind of played a walking bass line mm-hmm. with the chords. So, yeah, and, and if you think about guys like uh, Michael Hedges, the late Michael Hedges, uh, he was, he did that same thing with a walking bass line, but also uh, percussive and hit, hit the guitar in certain spots. And yeah, Stanley Jordan. Same sort Stanley of Stanley Jordan, another great example. Yeah. yeah. And so, the, yeah, there's just so much you can do where you, I guess, are somewhat more limited with, with other instruments. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, that probably uh, inherently is a part of it all, too, and why the guitar itself was so intriguing to us. There's, there's ultimate possibilities. Now, please, uh, keyboardists and drummers and bassists, please don't write us and, and, and tell us that we're wrong and that you can do all these things on your instruments. I'm sure you can. Uh, it, this is really just about how uh, it's affected us, uh, at least me personally. Um, yeah, feel... we'll be a little more guitar-centric, obviously. And, yeah. Uh, and it, you know what? You think about it uh, along the lines of a Pink Floyd, say, um, hearing that, that background hum of, of keyboards, of Rick Wright keyboards, was extremely conducive for the guitar to roll over on top of that and just wail. Oh, so yeah. A, there's definitely a, a, um, uh, a synchronicity there, you know, that's very important, playing off each other. Yeah, absolutely. To this day, if I hear any sort of, uh, like, keyboards easing in, you know, some chord progression with just nice mellow sounds... I instantly want to grab my guitar and just start playing over top of that. Yeah, or just you know, like a Hammond organ. Yeah, you know, playing playing an E minor chord. Uh, the world's endless possibilities. Yes, absolutely. Well, and that's that's another thing I wanted to bring up is the the improvisational aspect of music. To me, that's the 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 highest form of creativity musically is when you can 
rather than just learning a song and playing the chords and, you know, playing the melody and stuff, you can actually improvise. It gives you this sense of freedom of being able to speak a different language and get your emotions across. I agree totally. And it, it was very organic. You and I began playing just blues chords mm -hmm. where I'd play a couple of bars and you would solo over it and then vice versa. And before, before long, it's two hours later and we're still doing it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, you know, it got to the point where just kind of naturally at some point we said, all right, it's getting a little bit boring. We got to work in, you know, figure out what those minor chords are and et cetera, et cetera. And, right. and, and we would figure that out together. Uh, and then it got, it got even more magical because then it's like, wow, we're playing and what we listen to kind of, yeah. uh, and it, it became real. And when you say the emotions for me, not ever being able to really convey my emotions and have the confidence of it, music allowed me to do that. And by you reacting to what I just played, it's just that instant validation. Yeah. And, and it back and forth and back and forth can only help your confidence and increase your endorphins. Again, a little more I'll explain shortly. Um, and, then we, and then it would go along with what, what music we listened to. We'd start to listen to music that became, it was a little bit more complex than just your standard blues, and, and we evolved from there. Yeah, and you had a real natural affinity to the instrument. Um, it became very obvious to me uh, after the first few months of us playing, how much better you were than I was. <laughs> um, See, I didn't feel that, but again, that kind well, of just yeah, me, but, but but you were, and you are. <laughs> I, but I, yeah, but I, you know, at least at that point, and you know what, music really is not about better or worse or anything, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, it's really, you know, if you think about David Gilmore versus, you know, your Satriani's and Steve Vai's of today and. You know, it wasn't about a matter of complexity or, or speed or, you know, it's a matter of, of what mood comes across and what emotions come across. Right, right. You David Gilmore is not the fastest guitar player in the world, but he's probably one of the guitarists I admire most uh, because how his, his solos just convey an emotion. Uh, you, you can hear, they're not you know, overly complex or anything like that, but it, it touches you. You can really feel it and it, it makes you feel things. It's his playing is just amazing. Yeah. He had a real, uh, balance of, uh, the maturity of the sound, but also you can definitely feel the emotion. Yeah. You know, you, you, he had that, it wasn't just plain notes and it was the way he bend and and just do things with the strings that mm -hmm. would you know again convey emotion and the dynamics of his solos especially if something like comfortably numb mm -hmm. uh, you know from start to finish of just the guitar solo uh, it was just it, it really uh, made for the dynamics of the song yeah I mean it was perfection really it really was so uh, I, I'm thinking that um you you had you have such an affinity for for music and for playing guitar it it has it must have something to do with you finding a, a creative outlet that that helps you mentally uh 
cope with things and, and makes you feel better about yourself or, or something. I mean, yeah, that couple with the love of, of the inherent love of the music and, and, and the instrument. And also I think, you know, as I've mentioned to you before, those, those key ages that we, uh, at least our subconscious la- latches onto music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe what I was saying was it's around the age of 14 is where, um, you know, that's the most important year for music in most of us. Right. Whatever, whatever music you were listening to at, around that age, I would probably say maybe 10 to 15, but uh, it was really key. And I remember as a child, you know, listening to, to Chicago and those kind of things. And, and it just, I get goosebumps to this day. It's almost a, a natural reaction. Yeah, to to hearing those kinds of things in Earth, Wind, and Fire, and so not necessarily even guitar-based music, but Santana was that like that for me on, in an earlier yeah. stage. But um, and that has to do with really how your brain reacts to it. That I wanted to get into sort of, um, you know, we we're going to get into the the neurology of, of music and how it affects your brain. Uh, I I want to talk briefly about what happened before the show, before we started recording the show today. Right. Uh, so interestingly, um, starting the show today was not without its own share of drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, uh, Doug, your, your mood was not quite where it was last week. Not um, quite. No, no, you were, you were definitely uh, a little lower, uh, today. Yeah. I, luckily I'm not as, you know, I didn't make the leap to, to a, a real bad level, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a, um, a difference, and there's a couple of external factors that are going on, particularly with family, mm-hmm. that have probably inherently bothered me or subconsciously bothered me. Um, but you know, uh, we all have to realize that whether you have a you know a neuromodulator in your chest or you don't, or you're just normal, mm-hmm. quote unquote, you're going to have ups and downs, and you can't hyperanalyze every up and every down so you kind of have to roll with it and just just keep doing what you're doing in a positive way and and you know and, and try and let it sort of happen yeah so the 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 part i found interesting was um you you have a guitar and you actually haven't picked it up in a while um there was something keeping you from from playing uh, recently, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm wondering if you if you have any insights as to why that may be. I guess it it just might be uh, just not being ready for it. I guess uh, you know, this is all very new to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mood being improved to some extent, and maybe there's just um, a fear that I'll pick it up and it just won't be there for me and. I don't know. It's very subconscious right now. So to talk about it is difficult. Uh, But you were there to experience it. But then we decided, hey, let's try and hook it up and see long distance. If if you hooked up your guitar, uh, could I hear it? And, and, you know, we both decided let's force this thing. Let's just do it and see what happens. Yeah. And, And once we did it, I was happy we did it. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I guess I knew that that was going to happen or hoped that it would happen. So, yeah, I think it's um 
it's it's kind of you know going back to the Seinfeld episode where George decides, you know, if everything I've done so far has gotten me here, well, let me do the opposite of everything. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's sometimes it's what we have to do and, and go against our natural instinct if we've been in a pattern like I've been for so many years mm-hmm. uh, of neg of negative trying to turn it into a positive. So what would it, it wouldn't make me any worse for us to try it. Right. So, so I knew that I had to, to force that and, and say, no, no, we're going to try it. And yeah. And, and for the, for, for listeners so that they understand, um, the idea was that ultimately it'd be great if we could both have our guitars connected during the podcast, uh, and we could, you know, play every once in a while, or maybe even jam, on the show, unfortunately, due to technical issues, um, latency being the the biggest factor, it's it's not uh, likely going to happen. I mean, it's um, not quite as conducive for the show, you know. But the fact that I'm in Canada and you're in California, yeah, and that we were able to still hear each other talk and play, yes. even though there was that delay, that latency, yeah, uh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, we started trying to jam a little bit, but our timing was just way off, obviously, because of the latency. Uh, but it brought this this surge of feelings of, wow, we haven't done this in decades. <laughs> I mean, it's been quite a long time since we've actually played together. Yeah. And uh, as, you know, as crazy as it was this morning, uh, it still kind of helped. It still kind of made me feel like, wow. This is, I miss this. We need to do this again somehow, some way. Yeah, especially when you're alone. Um, I mean, you don't have a lot of people to play with, though you have some, but for me, you know, uh, it's either using backing tracks uh, or or having you there. Um, well, it's the same for me. I mean, I have jammed with a few people uh, around here in the past, but uh, there's no one really... Uh, around here that wants to do that on a consistent basis um so i i do the same thing i'll just put on backing tracks and just play uh just to to get it out of my system you know and it's something you you love and you need and it's good for you it's it's incredibly therapeutic which is why we're doing the show on 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 music in the brain and music therapy and and why uh, the, these avenues have opened up in a huge way uh, in mm-hmm. the areas of psychology and neurology. Yeah. So now go ahead and, and explain the uh, the neuroscience of it. Well, hopefully, I, I want to try and make it simplified. But bottom line is that you know when we think about neurotransmitters. You know, most people think of you know serotonin and 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 norepinephrine and dopamine and uh, but they all mean things. Um, you know, and what is a neurotransmitter? Uh, there are chemicals that, that run through the brain, uh, which carry information from one neuron to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and neurotransmitters are chemicals that live inside brain cells that are called neurons. This is like science class again, so don't fall asleep. <laughs> Stay with me. But they're, they're stored in sacs um, uh, just by the synapse at the end of the axon of a neuron. Um, and, you know, you can see, uh, like, for instance, adult humans have 100 billion neurons, which are each capable of making thousands of connections. Um, and it's, I mean, if you think about the numbers, it's pretty incredible. Uh, but bottom line is that the important neurotransmitters, one being serotonin, 
And that's one that I lack with uh, in what the DBS is, is trying to produce. Um, and really, in layman's terms, serotonin is the happy drug. Right. So if you're completely devoid of, of the production of serotonin, there's no happy. Yeah. Um, but serotonin in general aids in the smooth transitions of messages in the brain and the body and plays a, a, a huge role in the regulation of mood, appetite, memory, learning. Uh, so a lack of serotonin often results in low self-esteem, depression, and sometimes even aggression. Um, and then there's dopamine, another neurotransmitter that's very important, which helps information flow higher levels uh, into the brain uh, and plays a key role in regulating pain and pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, one very common one is melatonin. People don't realize that's a neurotransmitter, and that's related to wake and sleep cycles in your, your REM cycle. Um, and that's something you can take as a, as a supplement, right, melatonin? Yes, yeah, and, and that's um, and I've I've often taken that too. Um, people can take that in in low doses as a mineral supplement, but uh, not too much because you could wake up, you know, as what's termed hungover, uh-huh. just kind of you, you know you've taken a little bit too much. Um, you know, the body body only needs a little bit. Yeah. Um, then there are endorphins, uh, which are neuropeptides. So that's the body's natural painkiller. Um, so an abundance of endorphins can often create a feeling of euphoria. It's the body's natural drug, if yeah. you will. Uh, and there's been a lot of research uh, on behavior and neurotransmitters, um, you know, uh, influenced by, by all these ones we just talked about. Um, there's one study in 1990, the Glenn study, which says that the brain may release serotonin, dopamine, and endorphin as a result of exercise, um, an affirming touch or smile or meaningful relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, They also talk about uh, the single most dynamic influence on the brain's chemistry is positive feedback. Uh, You know, things we kind of take for granted, Uh, but they come in many forms uh, and it's essential for the development of a good self-concept and and self-esteem. Uh, being part of a group, uh, part of a team, uh, those feel-good chemicals like endorphins and dopamine. Uh, um, so, um, you know, generally we know that exercise increases endorphins right. uh, in the brain. Everybody talks about that. Uh, and we want to expand on our thinking about exercise to include drama, dance, and, you know, physical education in general. Um, and for people to continue doing that as they as they go on, but that gives a general idea on on really, you know, how important uh, these neurotransmitters are and how much it affects our behavior. Well, and also how things like uh, creative things like music can actually help release some of these uh, chemicals in the brain and make people happy. I mean, that's that's kind of the point of. Uh, of having hobbies and things like that, right? Yes, absolutely. And it's, and you know, we were talking about um, uh, earlier about that we, we learn by doing things over and over and repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it becomes, you know, sort of a regular part of your, the neural pathway of your brain and the associations that you make from one thing to another. 
Here's a clip from uh, another TED Talk that'll shed some more light on exactly what I'm talking about. But what is it about making music that sets the brain alight? The research is still fairly new, but neuroscientists have a pretty good idea. Playing a musical instrument engages practically every area of the brain at once, especially the visual, auditory, and motor cortices. And as with any other workout, disciplined, structured practice in playing music strengthens those brain functions, allowing us to apply that strength to other activities. The most obvious difference between listening to music and playing it is that the latter requires fine motor skills, which are controlled in both hemispheres of the brain. That leads perfectly into our news story, a Time Magazine piece called This Is How Music Can Change Your Brain. So the general idea of this article is that actively learning to play an instrument can actually help a child in other academic areas. Uh, Studies show that the brain starts hearing and processing sounds they wouldn't normally hear, uh, which helps them develop what they call neurophysiological distinction between sounds that can aid in literacy and improve academic results. It basically gets more of the brain activated and more of the other parts of the brain working. Yeah, they even did uh, brain imaging uh, where it it shows that if you're actually playing an instrument, the entire brain is lit up. And when you're just listening to music, uh, there are certain parts of the brain that are lit up. So, So when you're actually playing an instrument, you're using both halves of your brain. At the same time. And as we heard earlier, it's the, the corpus callosum that connects the left and the right hemispheres together. Or cor- corpus callosum, depending on how you learned to pronounce that. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But the extent of the brain's involvement was scarcely imaged um, until about the early 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. that's when functional brain imaging became possible. And now, these days, it's become the norm. Yeah, and it's a great tool to to at, at the very least learn what parts of the brain are active during certain activities. Yeah, and I'll give you an example of a few. Uh, the motor cortex, uh, which is in the frontal, in the center in the frontal lobe of the brain, um, is responsible for movement and f- foot tapping and dancing and playing an instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the hippocampus, for example, which is located kind of more in the center in the back of the brain, uh, is the memory for music, musical experience and, and context. Um, then there's the visual cortex is reading music and looking at a, a performance or, or one's own movements. So movement is involved in dance and mm-hmm. those types of things. Well, and a, a new study from Northwestern University revealed that in order to fully reap the cognitive benefits of a music class, kids can't just sit there and listen. They have to be actively engaged in the music and participate in the class. That's right. Uh, so so it, it even showed that students who played instruments in class had more improved neural processing than the children who simply attended. Yeah, and it also not only stays in their memory, but there's more of an emotional reaction to the music, which is actually developed in the amygdala, which mm-hmm. is also sort of in the center of the brain. So I have to think that if a child is prone to depression or or has a a chemical imbalance, uh, that studying music, learning to play an instrument could actually benefit them tremendously. 
I would think absolutely so, and and especially if you know there's there is that stimulation again. Uh, them listening to it, there's stimulation, but them actually doing it. If I had done that earlier on as a child, instead of standing on my bed playing the tennis racket, <laughs> you know, I would have developed more. More of my brain would have, have developed earlier, and there would have been more of that sense of of accomplishment and engagement mm-hmm. in, into the music. And I would have developed parts of my brain, like the amygdala and the hippocampus, uh, more so at an early age. Uh, how old were you when you actually started playing guitar? Um, well, I mean, that's not the age of when when music hit my soul, if you will. But mm-hmm. but I think it was probably um, I think my uncle had a guitar, and when I was maybe sixteen, mm-hmm. uh, and and I remember my uncle Murray was was the catalyst for uh, me listening to the guitar and, and just loving it. I think he played, he taught me um, House of the Rising Sun uh, <laughs> and a couple of John Denver tunes back then. And uh, But officially playing, I think it was about 18, where I just sort mm-hmm. of picked it up. And, and uh, I think I said this in, in a previous podcast, but there was, uh, I was at a, a school outing and and one of the other kids had a guitar and had been playing for quite a while and i just picked it up and like a couple days later i still had borrowed the guitar and he heard me and i was better than him in a couple of days than he had been nice (laughs) so it was uh there was something there and that was the catalyst for the rest of going and you you hyper focused on guitar yeah i mean i always say the add and the ADHD, but the ADD in my case was, you know, made this disease twice as hard mm-hmm. to deal with and contain. But, but on the positive end, it does allow you to hyperfocus, uh, just as those in in the family of of ADD and uh, um, autism and Aspergers, and uh, there is that part of the brain that can hyperfocus and I guess channel everything into that one function and sort of put everything else aside right the everything else doesn't go away but at least for that time being uh you're completely engulfed in that in that uh, activity and the emotions that that are produced yeah which is why you've gotten so good at guitar and in not that long a time yeah, I mean, you know, think about when you're sitting and doing your favorite thing um, as far as with technology and computers. Uh, I'm sure your your brain has very similar reactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's not that stimulation and, and uh, excitement, there is that comfort level, that's that sweet spot that you're in uh, where your brain is, is stimulated but relaxed and just working as it should. Yeah, no, absolutely. When when I'm actually involved in something that I'm really into, uh, whether it's you know working on a website, uh, doing a graphic, uh, even playing music, uh, I lose track of time. Uh, there will be times when I look up and it's like four in the morning, and I've just been sitting here on the computer working on something, not realizing how late it was, and that's that's just because I was so engrossed in it, and it 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 just nothing else mattered. Yeah, so a lot of us can, a lot of people can relate to that and, and may have that happen to them. And, you, you know, it's, oh, my God, I can't believe I've been, it's kind of like surfing the net. You know, you get to one website and then you look at links and then you go to another and another and yeah. you don't realize you've been surfing for five hours about 
20 different subjects. Um, you <laughs> know, probably still didn't find what you were originally looking for. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's probably based on the U2 song. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, and for us, you know, as an autistic type trait, uh, I think it's the same thing, just sort of taken to another level. Yeah. Uh, and, and you being as good as you are with technology, and I say that as an overall term, um, you know, I think that's something that we take for granted. And it's, it fits in the pocket. It's your comfort zone, and yep. those are the things that people should focus on because that is what inherently sparks your brain and, and makes it come alive. So, right, which is you know. why you should always uh, encourage uh, kids to, to follow what they're passionate about. Yeah, and if you start them that young, it becomes this ingrained learned behavior and association, as we've talked about, where you're associating one thing to another. Um, if you don't, and you don't have these sort of tangible um, set types of things, um, positive and, and constructive type things, uh, from an early age you begin to develop in the wrong ways and set the wrong associations and the wrong learned behaviors, yeah. which are going to follow you through your whole life. And now you're me at 47 trying to reteach yourself all of these things that have been completely ingrained and, and super glued, spackled into your head. Yeah. Uh, and that's, it's much harder to reverse it. Than to, and again, with the motor skills, I mean, we're learning motor skills at a young age. Uh, so all of these things can be accomplished with music. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. So how have you used music therapeutically well it's it's to kick off the endorphins you know uh, like this morning forcing myself to to pick it up yeah uh, you know with your encouragement because you know again it's been so many years of this that uh, it's very hard for me to to uh, come out of that that sort of typical learned negative behavior uh, but once i get that spark uh, and we talked it out. If I yeah. talk it out with myself, I'll talk myself out of it and just continue the pattern of, of dysfunction. But talking it out with you, uh, it, it made much more sense, and, and I knew what I had to do. Yeah. And it worked out. I mean, uh, by the end of, you know, we got your guitar working. Uh, we could hear it, and you were playing, and by the end you actually seemed in a much better mood. Yeah, it's it's a lot uh, subconscious right now. I guess it's, you know, it's my main thing. It's my main passion, and I don't know where where the resistance comes from. Uh, uh, is there any part of it I'm afraid I can't play anymore? Or, you know, mm -hmm. obviously I have certain parts of my brain that have been damaged and been uh, worked on heavily. Mm -hmm. um, and that has to do with, you know, I have tremors in my hands. Now, I, obviously, I can't do brain surgery anymore. <laughs> um, uh, I can have it, but I, I won't. Yeah. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, there's just, uh, and I haven't played in a long time. I don't have any calluses developed in my fingers. And, um, right. So, you know, but is, is there a fear of it just not being the same or it won't bring me that immediate happiness? And I don't think I have to worry about that. These are, again, things that are, emotional reactions that are already associations that have been set. Um, and if anybody, anything is going to be therapeutic, uh, music will always be, and I should never doubt that. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can totally understand why you might 
be fearful of picking it back up. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm just thinking back uh, a few years when you had, I think you had an acoustic guitar at one point and you ended up smashing it to pieces. Um, yeah, and it wasn't a Pete Townsend type smash. I mean, it was just. It was out of anger and frustration. And I guess you could, if you're watching the TV movie, you would surmise that he's going to take all of his anger on the thing he loves most, which mm-hmm. is what we do with our relationships and families. And so who knows? Maybe that's, that's what that message was, yeah. that cry out for help, even though I was crying out to myself in an empty room with nobody else. So there was nothing constructive that came out of it, obviously, except mm-hmm. misery that I had a, just a broken guitar. But then I could make myself sicker, you know, and right. that's that, that ridiculous dysfunction of, of, of self-sabotage. Yeah. And, and part of the fear of getting better, I think, for a lot of people, and likely myself, is I've been the sick person for so many years. You know, what am I if I'm not sick? Right. So it's, it's kind of a esoteric kind of a strange it's uh, almost like that's your your the only identity you can relate to right now is you as a sick person yeah because and, it's been your I whole know, life and i know the desire is there to not be because i i purposely tell the people that i care about you know not to either write me or call me to say you know just checking in on you you know mm-hmm. Being the patient, I just want to be normal like you guys. You know, yeah. call me that you you saw a great movie and you, I have to see it, or you know. And if you are going to sort of quote unquote check in, just say you know how's this w- week been for you? Mm-hmm. You know, something a little bit more. But you would rather have you would rather have someone uh, like send you a, a joke or uh, a text with you know just yeah, not to make me any different than anyone else. Yeah, but just. If I send this, it might make them laugh without having to get into all the crap. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny because yesterday I did send you a text. Uh, it was a it was a funny picture uh, that I sent you, and I was expecting a response back with some sort of joke or laughter of some sort, and all I got back from you was thanks, and yeah, and that's instantly I knew that you weren't in the best of moods just from that that response yeah when you have no socialization you you do that it's almost a game mm-hmm. and and when i wrote it i thought exactly oh he's gonna know yeah but i didn't write anything afterwards it's like almost like you gotta let everyone know when you're not doing so well and mm-hmm. and, and i need to do that for myself uh, and that's part of being a grown-up yeah. you know um, well, and, but, and, but interesting how you picked up on that. Well, and I, I, I actually started writing back, uh, and I was going to ask you. Yeah, I was going to ask you, "Are you okay?" I can tell something's wrong, but then I figured, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, uh, I can tell he's not feeling great, and I know I'm going to talk to you tomorrow, meaning today, um, because we're going to do the show. So we'll just cover it then. Um, and the strange thing is I thought exactly the same thing. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to, I won't get into it now. I'll leave it at that and I'll discuss it tomorrow because it really is fodder for the show. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's material. We can just talk it out and we ended up doing that. We had a little bit more of a, a stringent uh, outline, but yeah. this has actually helped and it helps to get it out and 
and yeah. to see by real practical actual experience um, how these things play out yeah and after after I got that text I and I knew you know something was up um, I was kind of a little bit anxious the rest of the day just thinking well I hope everything's okay you know I hope he's not you know going backwards and and totally regressing back to the the really severe category um but i'm glad to hear it wasn't that bad i mean i know you weren't in the best of moods but you you've seen worse well and there's that always uh, um impending you know uh, thought of of the fear that horrid fear of going back to where i was so i think that's probably why i didn't read anymore because i didn't want to think about it yeah i just had to escape into whatever tv program was on or you know I, i'll stop there and not overanalyze and we'll mm -hmm. talk about it tomorrow and and yep. through a little bit of it was a little tough getting started but once we did it it did work out in a therapeutic yeah. way like i hoped it would well you you have some very telltale signs uh when that that i can pick up on that i know when i know you're not feeling great uh, when we first connected this morning before actually recording the show, I could tell just from the amount of times you sighed during our conversation, like mm. I'd be like, Hey, how's it going? You'd be like, ah, it's good. How are you? <laughs> well, and in my mind, it's going through, Oh, I'm doing worse. I'm doing better. I'm not doing worse. I'm, you know, and that's, Probably while I'm sighing, my brain is overanalyzing things. Yeah. And uh, how do I say it in a positive way? You know, thinking too much yeah. as opposed to letting things happen, but knowing I'm in control. Right. Uh, that's a real hot button for me. Well, and I think we, we, we did well uh, by just powering through the, the guitar setup this morning because that, that I think just kind of uh, – you know, clicked in in your mind as oh okay maybe I I should just um, not worry about it and go against my grain and just do it because at the other end you came out in a slightly better mood that I surely did and uh, the key to moving forward uh, is to be able to sustain that and ironically we have a clip um, speaking of sustain of Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap talking about his. Gibson and the sustain. Mm -hmm. This is the top of the heap right here. There's no question about it. Look at the look at the flame on that one. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's quite unbelievable. This what this one is just uh, it's perfect. 1959. Uh, you know, it just you can uh, listen. How much is just this? Just listen for a minute. I'm the not, sustain. Listen to it. I'm not hearing anything. You would though if it were playing. So that's our show for tonight. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Please follow us on Twitter at UnhingedPC and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash unhingedpodcast. Also be sure to check out our website if you haven't done so already. It's at unhingedpodcast.com. We'll see you all next week. Take care. Take care.